A little over a quarter century ago, I was doing some graduate work at UCLA in Jewish history. And I had a remarkable professor whom I've mentioned before. His name was Amos Funkenstein. He grew up in Israel and spent years in Germany and was a scholar of both the history of science and of Judaism. He taught at Tel Aviv University, at UCLA, other places. He spoke a billion languages, ancient and modern. The one thing that Amos Funkenstein did not do was tell time. You could make an appointment with him at 10, and he would come sauntering in at noon, and there was no sense that he was late, because time meant almost nothing to him. He was what we used to call a Luftmensch. He dwelt like somewhere else. The reason I'm telling you this is because once Professor Funkenstein asked me, since I was his student, would I drive him to the airport? He was going up north because he taught at all the different UCs, depending on what he felt like doing. That's, by the way, true. There are 10 professors in the UC system, or there used to be, I don't know now, who are called university professors. They can teach whatever they want at whatever campus they want, whatever, whenever they want. And he was one of the 10. So I said, sure, Professor, I will pick you up and I'll take you to the airport. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. Finally, he gets into the car and he was a European Israeli professor, billows of smoke, one cigarette after another. I can barely see the, the street. And we're clearly late and I'm very nervous. I don't want to get him there late, but he doesn't care. And he starts on the way to the airport to give me a lecture about the development of the clock in Western history. <laughs> and he says, you know, before year such and such, nobody could be five minutes late. Because they didn't have, you can't be five minutes late on a sundial, right? You have to, and said until the, I think, invention of the counterpost clock in Germany and I don't know what year, but he obviously knew the day. Nobody was five minutes late. By the way, the end of the story is I got him to the airport just in the nick of time, and he made his plane, thank God. But I remember as part of that discussion, he talked about how do you know in our tradition when you're supposed to pray the morning prayer if you don't have a clock? Because after all, the rabbis didn't have clocks. We look at our phones a billion times a day, and the time is one of them, where we look at our wrists, or there's conveniently a clock right built into the bima, by the way, which is basically a way of saying, don't talk too long. But in ancient times, how did Jews know the time had come for the morning prayer? So we are told in the Mishnah, when you recognize the face of your friend. In other words, what determines when you pray? When you can see someone's face. I say this because this morning, as you know, in fact, it was mentioned, 
by our bar mitzvah. Jacob and Esau come in this meeting, and you think Esau's going to kill Jacob, and there are lots of explanations for why he doesn't, but they all revolve apart around the fact that all of a sudden, after decades, he sees the face of his brother. To see someone else's face, panim in Hebrew. According to the French philosopher Levinas, ethical obligation, the things we owe to other people, is found in the face of the other. It's the face of another human being that makes demands on me. Were you listening to Birkat Kohanim? which the cantor chanted in Hebrew to our bat mitzvah and our bar mitzvah, what did he say? Yisa Hashem panav elecha. May God raise God's face to you. And do you know what the greatest praise in the history of our tradition is? It goes to who? To Moses, Right? Moses is the greatest figure in our history. What does it say at the end of Moses' life? It doesn't say Moses was the greatest guy who ever lived. It doesn't say Moses did the most mitzvot of anyone who ever lived. No, it says Moses saw God panim el panim, face to face. That is said of nobody else in our tradition. In other words, he had the most intimate, direct relationship to God. You know why I'm saying all this. One of the reasons why I cannot wait until we get these off, these masks, is because it is so important to see another person's face. You know, in Hebrew, panim, the word panim is plural. It's not singular. Because a face is nothing by itself. It's only in relation to another face that it matters. It's faces together, not alone. That's how we understand who we are. You can't pray the service until you can see the face of your friend. Like all of you, I am grieved, nothing less than that, by the fact that we walk around with these, or we wear them now, thank God, we don't walk around with them as much. We wear them inside. But I don't want us ever to forget that really Judaism is about faces. It's about being able to see the other person. Now, thank God, the masks do not obscure our eyes. And eyes, you know, as the poet put it, are the windows of the soul. So you can still see someone's eyes, which means you still see what is most important about their face. But we should remember Jacob and Esau. They come together, and if you didn't know the story, you would think Esau's going to kill him. Because Esau swore he would kill him, and he's coming with 400 men. And okay, we've read the ending, but let's say we didn't. We would think he's going to kill him, but then, then he sees Jacob's face. And instead, he falls on him and weeps. Panim el panim. Face to face. It's how we know one another.
It's how we acknowledge each other. It's how we love each other. God willing, we'll be able to do that again everywhere very soon. Shabbat shalom.